Let's uh, turn to the book of Mark. I'm stuck a little bit on the transfiguration. Does anybody remember what the word was for transfiguration we learned last week? The Greek word metamorphosis. That's right. It's the same word that we know in, in English to be transformed. And I, I'm kind of stuck here a little bit because this scene um, is so remarkable. All right. Um, and what I mean by this is I want you to get a picture here. Uh, there are moments, uh, there's, there's moments in the Bible, Daniel says, I see one like an ancient of days, uh, like a son of man approaching the ancient of days. Well, okay. Uh, king, I think it's one of the great kings of Babylon, looks in the furnace and he says, I see a fourth man. Three were thrown in. Who's the fourth man? There's miracles that are happening. Oh, we see uh, the, the, the vision from Revelation we just read. Uh, John, I was on the Isle of Patmos in the Lord's day, and I heard a voice behind me like roaring waters, and he turned around, and behold, I saw one molten, shining like the sun. Uh, but these events, these kinds of visions of Christ, of this incandescent Jesus, are always like, um, like you're seeing something out, like you're going somewhere to him, right? Like that glory is over there, and you're going, somehow the prophet is seeing it. Uh, it's, I, uh, Ezekiel's the one that says it's the best because in Ezekiel, he always says the Holy Spirit took me by the head and the Holy Spirit lifted me up. You get this impression that he just got lifted up and carried around and put down and I saw it. And, uh, and so, not this one. Not this one. This is right with them. This is, it's on a mountain, which we shouldn't underestimate. Mountains, mountains are reminiscent of Sinai. Mountains are, are places where God meets. So it's on a mountain. It's got, this, it's got the allusions and the images, the rich, ripe kind of images that for a Jewish hearer would say, ah, wait a second, this is a Moses place, an Elijah place. And by the way, who does he meet? Moses and Elijah. When the Lord appears to Elijah in 1 Kings, it's on a mount. He's in a cave, but it's on a mountain. And, we, and, and when God appears to Moses, some of these stories may be new to you. Don't fret about that. But uh, I want you to understand that the Bible story, this narrative of Christianity and its stories, talks about God revealing something of his person in a vision, in a vision of spectacular glory that just wipes people out, just knocks them out. And this happens very immediately here in the story. So I want to explore why. What we looked at a little bit, we looked under the surface last week. I want, to, I want to explore more what the purpose of this kind of revelation is. And well, let's read it and we'll see what we get from it and with it. So we're going to read it. I'm going to pray about uh, what I'm going to say. And oh, yeah, I'll ask you this question then. How does Christ tell us we should listen to his word? Amen. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, 
uh, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone but with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it that written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt. But I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased. As it is written of him. Let's pray. Father, I'm aware. I'm aware again. Of how much I need your influence. And your power. How much I need your spirit. But I don't, it's not just me. How much we all together need your spirit in order to understand this stuff, to understand these events, for them not just to bewilder us. I pray, Father, that you would move me and all those who would hear me, you would move us from a place of not, a place of some darkness and confusion maybe, to a place of wanting, hungering, and seeking a vision of your glory. And I pray this in Jesus. Amen. I, um, I, I think what I, I want to be given to do as a preacher, pastor, teacher is a little bit unfair on me. And I'm here to complain about it. No, I'm not going to complain. I'm just humbled. I'm not humbled, because I'm not a humble person. I'm humiliated. What I mean is, all right, so I, I want to get up here and speak about this text. And my hope is at some point, at some point, there's going to be awakened in us a desire, or perhaps imaginatively a vision, perhaps even by the Holy Spirit's presence, a, a, a sense of the pure, radiant grandeur of Jesus Christ. But what am I going to do? I feel like a beggar. I feel like, a, I feel like an ass. But how do I do that? How do I broker for you the vision? I'm not a CGI guy. <laughs> I don't work for ILM. I can't do it that way. I've got words, I can talk about words, I can, or I can talk about my own experience, but it's like I feel, in one sense, a little bit doomed by the, by, by the, by the project. Does that make sense? I'm like a little bit doomed by the, the idea that somehow I'm going to either convince or portray or, or somehow advocate or somehow draw you into some vision. Because <laughs> I, I, I think we need a vision. Like, we need something like this. We, we, are, we live in a time that needs a metamorphosis Christ, a Christ is greater 
than, than, than the fictions and the narratives created by Hollywood or anything else. Like, this is way beyond that. This is, this is hitting the stratosphere when it comes to weird and amazing and beautiful and awesome. And I, what am I supposed to do? I feel like I, I, look, I was asked to, I was called to preach when I was nine years old. And luckily, or unluckily, I didn't, I didn't start preaching for another 20 years. And it's just such hard work sometimes. Like, it's just, I don't know how to do what I'm doing. I don't know how to, to make Jesus fantastically great in front of you. Like, how to, but let's, I'm going to try. Because that's my job, right? And it's my privilege. And it's my heart's desire. So I am, I am drawn in, and you are drawn in, and perhaps you haven't drawn in. I want you, if you notice, this is kind of fun. There's some fun things to the narrative here. I, I love this. Uh, I love the way that Jesus does business. He's very, he does this. He, Jesus seems to love surprising people because they have no clue why they're going. Do you notice that? They have no clue at all. They're just like, hey, you want to go for a walk? Hey, hey, come on, guys, let's go for a walk. Hey, Peter, James, and John, we're going up the hill. We're going to do a little mountain climb. Let's, let's have some fun. Let's go for a hike. Oh, man, you know, and, and maybe they're excited. Maybe they're kind of enthused. Maybe it's like, man, we get, you know what? We're going to find out just, just, just about, about two, in the next chapter that, that they started talking about how, you, you know, we're in the inside. We, we were on the mountain. We're more important than you. They're actually going to have that. I mean, they're, they're idiots right now. They have no idea what's going on, but they're charming, and, and they're supposed to be encouraging to us because we all feel like, well, I just confessed. I feel like an idiot trying to, <laughs> trying to somehow portray or imagine or draw you to the glory, the radiance, and the purity of Jesus Christ. But uh, be that as it may, it's kind of fun. Uh, the, the narrative is so blunt, it's so clear. Here we're going on a high mountain, and, and then all of a sudden, ta-da! And there's, what just happened? It's just like this, they were on the mountain, and all of a sudden Jesus turns around and goes, here I am! And he, they're going, they, they need sunglasses. They can't eat, it's just, it's a moment of, it's a moment they, they can't, and do you hear the language? It's, it, the language of Mark here, by the way, is totally Old Testament. This is, a, this is something that happens again and again. Whenever the prophets, Ezekiel or, 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 or Isaiah, Ezekiel's the, my favorite. It seemed to me that there appeared something like, something that resembled kind of like the glory of God. Do you hear all the, do you hear all the, hunt, the kind of hunt what is it? Because what do you, what do you say? Well, Mark, he uses this homey expression of like a launderer, of somebody who, who cleans clothes, as if you know, it's a very homey image of somebody who's, who's scrubbing and scrubbing and scrubbing. To get, but not even that would work. And it's this, because words, words beggar, the, they beggar the experience. They don't, they, don't, they fail. They just, words get to a point and just crumble. Words get to, and, and John, John's description in, in Revelation that we saw. How do you, what's the point? He was transformed before them, it says right there. And then verse 3, his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. Um, early in our worship, early on we, we read, right before confession. Let's see if we can find it. It's back a page. Just slip it over. Um, it says under the confession there. Um, so 
This is, kind of, this, this is the problem. We're going to read the problem, and you'll, think, you'll, you'll see what I mean. How, how do you create a visual of this? He is the image of the invisible God. All right, we already got a problem, right? We already have a problem. How do you create a visual of this? He is the image of the invisible God. You see the problem? How do you create the, the image of something invisible? Read, that, read the next part to me, the bold part. Firstborn over all creation. All right. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. How do you visualize that? How do you do we have any graphic artists here? How are you gonna visualize that? It's very abstract, isn't it? What's the transfiguration doing? In the, in the pure, radiant intensity of an experience that takes grown men and causes them to blabber and fall and terrified. What, what, how, do you, how do you picture somebody who's the firstborn from the dead, who, who's the image of the invisible? How do you do it? And that's what's happening in Mark. That's what's happening. Um... The first thing that I note in that verse 3, the first thing that jumps out of me is the sense of purity. Something spotless, something, something clean, cleaner than we can think that clean can be. Something that is, and there's something about this idea that Christ revealing himself as purity itself that really captures me. It's, it's something about it's like, he's... He's pure, and this, this is intensely valuable to, to the whole system because, because when, in the sacrificial system, in the daily sacrificial system, this bloody, this bloody abattoir, this, this, this butcher shop in front of the temple, that's what it was. It was a butcher shop and a butcher block, and day after day, a lamb and, a, and, a, and the cows and the, and the sacrifices and, and the, the water and the blood sluicing off all the time. I mean... The temple was an abattoir. And there was a pre-selection process in the temple for every sacrifice. And that was what? To get something pure. Uh, so they go through the, they go through the, somebody bring in a lamb, and they bring up the lamb to the priest. If he's looking, he goes, and sometimes with somebody, with somebody, with somebody, like a sacrifice, I'd like to move on, you know, the gimpy lamb. You know, the lamb's got, the lamb that's a little stupid. The one, you know, the one that can't see real well. I want to move off the bad merchandise because I want to sell the good merchandise, right? And what the priest would inspect it. No, he would say, turn him away. No, we can't use this one. If you want to be in the sacrificial system, it has to be a spotless lamb. And the description of him as this clean, as super clean, <laughs> as Mr. Clean, no, I, I, I should think about those kind of things before I say them. As completely clean, what does it do? Well, I, I, right off the gate, I think it ought to create 
And I think it does for them. What's the response they're terrified? I think it ought to create repentance. And I mean, I mean a change of position. I mean a turnaround. We are not a people who value purity. We're just not. I don't even know if it's possible anymore to be pure in this age. A friend of mine described uh, being an immigrant into, into the country and being sponsored by a family. And as they were driving around downtown, she got really excited and said, look, there's 25 cent movies. That's the cheapest movie I've ever, can we go to the movies? They're only 25 cents. Do you know what she's talking about? The adult pictures, the pornographic movie theaters. Innocently, right? Innocently. She said they didn't know what to say to her. So they <laughs> Might explain it to a little kid, right? But our children are poised like that all the time in this culture, aren't they? Every time they're online, every... Purity, I don't even know if we value purity. It seems to me if our Savior comes this way and, and appears this way, and, and that's, the, that's the guts of the, of the sacrificial system that he is now representing. He's representing that system. He's saying, that system prepared for me. Look at me. I'm the spotless lamb. And it seems that there's a moment of repentance for you and I who have not, we haven't valued purity. I, we, we, we like to be, uh, you know, be able to be a little rough and tumble, a little, you know, like a little with our language and, our, and our, with things we look at, and where we tend to think of purity as perhaps it's too late for purity. And anybody feel like that? Yeah, well, it's too late for me. I'm too worldly already. Too worldly already. But uh, is there a call here to purity about your bodies, sexual immorality, thoughts, imagination, attachments, language? There's also something else, though. Um, Jesus is pure for you. Yeah, as, as an adult male, 20th century, 21st century, 2016, the possibility of purity for me seems gone until the spotless lamb, until Christ offers me his purity. Um, the purity of the lamb is the purity of a sacrifice for a sinner like me, for the filthy, but it's also a cleansing for people like me. But more than just a cleansing, that I will be this white, it's also what? His purity is mine. That belongs to me. You know that purity? That's my, that's my purity. That belongs to me. It is reckoned, imputed, attached, put on. It is, it, is, it is mine and mine for the asking. And I, I need it because I need to be cleansed from shame. Because shame has crept like a cancer into the very guts of my life and our experiences. Believe it. it has. It's everywhere. And we're ashamed. We're ashamed. What will the incandescent Christ think of me? And guess what? You're in a good place. They were terrified. John falls as though dead. Why does John fall as though dead? Because the incandescent Christ revealed in John, John the Apostle, shame and filth. And he knew it. Fear not. Christ reaches out and touches him in his purity. Christ reaches out and touches John in his impurity in Revelation. He says, fear not. I am the first and the last. I've overcome death. 
and health. Purity. Purity that radiates. What's this radiant concept supposed to be? Look at it there. Uh, it, perhaps it's cause repentance. And perhaps I'm hoping that, that if I can convince you or somehow, you know, explain to you or somehow give you a picture of Christ in this incandescent vision that you will like, you'll, you'll, you'll want it. You'll hunger for it. You'll, you'll be attracted to it. You'll, you'll think maybe I could have it. But then, then there's this vision of his, of his purity. I'm, I'm sorry, of his radiance. He's just, he's shiny. Jesus is shiny. When you put it that way, it sounds kind of bad, doesn't it? It sounds like, you know, it's like, Jesus is shiny. Um, this becomes extremely important. Uh, uh, in Ephesians 5.14, this wonderful moment of Pope, this poetic moment. It's a very poetic moment where Paul says, this is why it says, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead. Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead. Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead. And let Christ shine on you. If the image of his purity terrifies me and tells me how much I need his purity, his shiny, radiant personhood is offering me new life. New life for us. Listen to that passage again. Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and let Christ shine on you. The, 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 uh, this is the most central motif, an opportunity that is supposed to happen when a preacher gets up, but when he reads the scripture and begins to talk, is that somehow Christ, in the imagination by faith and the Spirit, will become evident now, will become so real that someone here, who knows who, someone here, some man or woman, will go, I... I'm, I'm alive now. Like that's, I, I was dead, now I'm alive. I didn't know, but now I do. I didn't see, but now I, I see. Now I, I, was, I was lost, now I'm found. It's that uh, amazing grace moment. I, I, I'm, this is mine, and this is why week after week, I've been given the program of pre preaching Christ and proclaiming him and presenting him and describing him and wanting to make him available, and I feel so... So, so weak you should do it. I don't, well, I don't have to do it. Amen? Like, I don't have to. I'm off the hook. I can get up here and just talk about Jesus. And if Jesus will be here with me, and if he will be present to you, and you will see his radiance if you're, with the, uh, the heart of faith, the eyes of faith will perceive the radiance of Christ, you will have new life. You will not just have new life. Some of you will have new joy. Some of you will have transformed. And I'm going to train you. Some of you have walked with Jesus for a long time, and you've gotten cynical. You got a little hard. You got a little bit, you got a little lazy. You got a little tired. You got a little, you know, discouraged. And, and part of my part of my passion and place and purpose of, as a preacher and the plan for preaching is if I present Christ again to you as radiant, if I present him again, that we we will learn to look. We will learn to look and take one look at the impurity of your heart and then take ten looks at our shining, shining Savior. He'll train us to have a new reflex in worship quickly. No, I'm not going to It's almost like the wallow, right? It's almost like, what a, you know, it's our, 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 our sins like a, like a little something we like to pet. You know, all, the vil, all the villains in James Bond, this is before any of you guys were born, uh, like the pet cats, you know? 
I think we've got, and it's always a really evil villain that pets his cat. And uh, that's just like somehow it's supposed to show how evil he is. Spectre Gadget. Yeah, Spectre Gadget. Yeah. So, thank you. Uh, so, so we're like that. We're like this evil, maniacally, and you know, a part of us likes to stroke our, stroke our sin, you know. My sin. I love my, always my sin. You know, my sin. Because I'm such a bad person. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and turn. The word for repent in Hebrew is to what? It's to turn. To turn from what you're doing on the internet, what you're doing with your mouth and your heart, what you're looking at, what you're pursuing. It's to turn from the conversation of gossip to what? To him, to, to, a, new, to a new vision. You know what's so beautiful about this? He waits radiant when you have run from him for years. He waits radiant when you've been down that dark corridor and you've wondered if there's any way home, right? He waits radiant for you to turn when you have given up, you didn't have faith or joy for years. You haven't had faith since you, you haven't had real faith since you gave your life to Jesus at uh, Bible camp. Because <laughs> the last time you can remember, you really felt something about God. So what? So what? It's fine. In the highways and byways that we have run from our Savior, he chases us. And that's what he's going to do with Peter here. This vision will taste Peter. Even through his betrayals. Praise him. Praise him. Christ gave him the vision when Christ knew when the chips were down, he was going to walk. Isn't that sweet? Learn to look for, chase, pursue, ask for the radiance of Christ to shine on you. And he was transfigured before them. They both became white as no one earth could bleach them. And then I want to notice that finally here, we'll be done with this. This is my beloved son. As the cloud overshadowed them, listen to him. You see, even God the Father in the great voice is saying what I've just said. This is, he, this is the one. Listen to him. Look at him. Look at him. Look at him and be alive. And I want to impart to you a hope now. If we will do this, a hope. A hope that will get us through some of the hard times we're having. It's a hard time I'm having. Uh, I was really, really, really fond of the World Series of Poker. Anybody else kind of get into the whole poker thing? I, I, every time I watched it, I was kind of like, you know, yeah, I could do that. Uh, I could really do that. Um, kind of cocky, you know, like, yeah, I, I could do that. I'm just trying to figure out, like, what would my story be when they interviewed me? Poker preacher, you know? <laughs> what, would I wear, would I wear sunglasses or would I wear a hoodie? Um, you know? Would there be some way I could, like, maybe I could have, like, a, I don't know, Jesus loves you, John 3.16 right there, something. <laughs> so it would be a little bit evangelistic, too. <laughs> you think I'm joking. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, well, we don't, great. <laughs> so we, go, no, we, we know you, Chris. And so, you know what's cool about this? That, well, one of the cool things that they do is that the guy will get, he'll get his poker hand on, on, on Texas Hold'em. And he goes around, and the guy will, or a girl, will lift up the corner of the cards, and there's a little camera right there, and you can see what's in the hole. You can see what he's got in his hand. And once in a while, you'll, you'll notice the guy will pull it up, you see, see it, and it's, it's the bullets. It's, it's aces, a pair of aces. So much fun to watch how a guy plays that, right? How, how am I going to play this? Usually I'm going to play it slow. 
I'm not going to tip. I've got any confidence at all. Cards go down. But that peak, the moment of the peak, what happens then is as cards come on the board and as cards are being flipped over for Texas Hold'em to bake the best hand, there's a buy all the players. This didn't happen at first, definitely. They get percentages about who's ahead. They have percentages, and the percentages go up as more cards come out. And sometimes, though, you'll see somebody is at 100% before all the cards are out. <laughs> They're already there. They're already going to win, and they know it. And now the people, and it's, it's, I think that's what this vision of glory is. It's Christ who said, he says this with you, though. He's like, let you see the hand. He's let you see the hand. You see, we win. See, look, we win. We won. We won. It's our triumph. Play the game out. All the way to the river. Don't worry about it. We won. And the vision of radiant glory means right through the cross comes resurrection. Right through death comes life. Right through all the misery of discovering we're impure comes a lovely, beautiful purity available for a man like me. Amen? This is what he's promising. He's, he's giving you the goods. He's giving you the insight. He's inviting you into the victory, into hope, into joy, into praise and worship, into trust. And, and this, the, the purpose of this blinding story and the purpose of it being recorded in, 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 by, the, by, the, by, the, by the gospel writers and by the, by the apostles and the purpose of its place thousands of years later was, was they needed it. <laughs> they needed to be able to see the winning hand too, to tell them this was the great one. This was the great king who, uh, who had been seen by Ezekiel, Isaiah, uh, who had been seen by... Daniel. He was the one from ancient days before time. And he was going to be the spotless lamb for you and me. Let's pray. Father, we need eyes of faith. Uh, eyes of faith. Eyes that see. I remember Elijah's servant was so scared of that Old Testament servant and and you said, oh, Lord, let him see. Let him see. Let us see, Father. Give us eyes to see. We haven't treasured. We haven't sought and we have not loved. We have not even imagined that we could be pure. Shame and a sense of guilt and filth for the many things we looked at or did or touched that we should not have done. Haunt us. Be our purity. Be a spotless lamb. Be a spotless lamb for us. Shine, Jesus. Shine on us by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Shine in this moment to eyes of faith. Lighten the load and the burden and the crisis that some are under. Father, chase us in your love. Father, finally, impart to us hope in this victory. I want to thank you for this vision and thank you for your word. Thank you for this text. Thank you for the love, loving us and showing us and revealing us, revealing to us your glory. And I praise you in Christ. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, our Savior took bread and broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat. 
In the same way, he also took a cup of wine, saying this is the forgiveness of sins. Covenant, the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now, he said do this and remember him. So I want to invite you to the table. Uh, this, is that, this is that same like little camera showing you the cards. Like this is it. This is how real his love is, right here. And God knows we need that sneak peek of victory. We need, this, we need to know this is really, for, this is real. We need to be able to taste and touch because we, we're, we're just people who taste and touch. That's what we do. It's like we, Jesus knows that we need it. And we need this kind of image. Just like Peter, James, and John need to stand right next to him while it happened. We, we need that sort of tangibility, frangibility, that, the tactile, a tactile, tactile grace. Now, um, I want to invite you to the table by faith. If you have faith, even the faith, even the tiny faith, this is your table. This is a table for those who are sinners, who are ruined, who, who know their failure and know how real it is. And I want to invite you. If your faith and your trust is in Christ and you believe him, and as we will read in the Apostles' Creed, to be uh, the son of the Most High God, who came to save sinners, this is your table. Oh, God, some of you I know have been a long way from God. If you're turning to him now, this is your table. Uh, so, but if you are a skeptic and you're watching this skeptically and you haven't come to a place of faith, I hope you will watch and envy the joy I have in my forgiveness. I hope you'll, and I hope you won't, I hope you won't make the mistake of thinking that Christ is a crutch for me. Because Christ is not a crutch. He's a gurney. He's a stretcher. He's carrying all of me. That's what we're claiming here. Third, I'm going I'm to set up a fence. I'm gonna, I want to bar some people from the table. Bar them because they're barred. If you think you're a good man or a good woman, you are not worthy of my, of my Savior's table. If you think you're a good person, you are not worthy. For, he said, for Christ said, I came to heal the sick, right? I came here for the sick. I came those who needed a physician. I came for sinners. And that's who this table's for. All right, instructions clear? We're going to come forward. I'm going to ask you to take the bread and the wine and go back to your seat. As we're going up, we're going to read the Apostles' Creed and sing a song uh, with uh, Adele and Peter. So I encourage you to take your, your bulletins with you up. As we're getting in line, we'll still queue up. We'll go up here. We like to pray for children as they come forward. Uh, some of these children need a lot of prayer. Uh, and so we're going to pray for them. And, uh, uh, and uh, if you need prayer, you're just like, gosh, I wish somebody would pray for me. We'll do that too. I'll be up here praying with uh, uh, McLaren's going to be holding the elements. And I'm going to be up here praying with Erica. Erica's going to be up here praying with me. Yeah, I'm picking on you, Erica. Come on up here. And she, we're going to stand right here and pray for uh, children as they come up uh, or anybody else who needs it.